0: This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis.
1: Can we trust Pope Francis to be the custodian of our traditions? Since he came to the papal throne in 2013, many have had reason to doubt Pope Francis' allegiance to church tradition. Since so many of the church's basic teachings rely upon traditional doctrines, this is a major problem. This episode of The Return to Order Moment looks at two situations in which Pope Francis appears to be determined to discard traditional Catholic practice and teaching. The first concerns Pope Francis's recent statement that severely restricts the use of the traditional Latin Mass. Mr. Luis Sergio Salomeo evaluates the impact of Pope Francis's action in his essay Pope Francis's Traditionis Custodes and the Traditional Latin Mass.
0: An unjust law does not oblige. Lack of sacrality and reverential worship in the quote-unquote New Mass has reached the unimaginable. Here are just a few from numerous examples. At the end of Mass, a fully vested archbishop rides a bicycle around his cathedral. Priests celebrate clown masses while others have clown acolytes. A drag queen sings at a cardinal's mass. Even more serious are LGBT or transgender masses. Pagan gods are worshipped at a bishop's consecration. Pope Francis does nothing to stop these abominations. Nevertheless, he sees the celebration of the traditional Latin mass, whose piety and sacredness are well known as a grave threat to church unity. In his July 16, 2021 Motu Proprio Tradiciones Custodes and its explanatory letter to the bishops, he brutally restricted as much as possible with a view to extinguishing the celebration of Holy Mass in the traditional rite, although it is of apostolic origin. Why this animosity against a Mass celebrated and attended by so many saints and faithful Catholics, and which, at its core, goes back to apostolic times? Pope Francis tried to justify his harsh measure, stating that many who attend the traditional Mass entertain doubts about certain novelties introduced by the Second Vatican Council. He says that such doubts are, quote, to doubt the Holy Spirit Himself. Unquote. The historical doctrinal basis of Pope Francis' motu proprio and its accompanying letter to the world's bishops does not stand up to criticism. It alleges that just as the Council of Trent asked for changes to the Roman Rite, the Second Vatican Council also requested liturgical reform. Pope St. Pius V fulfilled the first consular request while the second gave rise to the so-called New Mass, promulgated by Pope Paul VI. The parallel is misplaced. First of all, Trent did not ask for a change in the Roman Rite, but to restore the genuine liturgical tradition. According to John W. O'Malley, S.J., the Council of Trent never intended to establish a new liturgy, but only ordered a, quote, Revision of the Missal and Breviary of the Roman Rite. Its intention was to eliminate superstitions, redundancies, scribal errors, and other inappropriate elements that had crept into the texts over the course of time." St. Pius V granted the Council's request. The result was the Missal of 1570, Quote, "...in just what the Council intended," Not a new liturgy in any sense, but a reliable text that conformed to the best and oldest manuscripts and printed editions, unquote. Likewise, liturgical historian Monsignor Klaus Gamber states that there was no change in the rite of the Mass because, quote, since the 5th century, the only thing on which the popes have unceasingly insisted is that the Roman canon must be adopted their argument being that it originated with the Apostle Peter, Secondly, the two councils were convened and held with different intentions and doctrinal authority. The Council of Trent was called to refute Protestant errors, especially those of Luther, to reform the clergy, to end abuses and worldliness in the Roman Curia and hierarchy of the Church. This council reaffirmed true Catholic doctrine, especially on points denied by the innovators at the time, raising a solid barrier to the advance of Protestantism. Consequently, the reform of liturgical books, particularly the Roman Missal, also attended to the concerns of the council fathers by eliminating spurious elements that could lend themselves to interpretations according to the doctrines of the innovators on the contrary neither john the 23rd the pope who convened the second vatican council nor paul the 6th who closed and promulgated it intended to condemn modern errors indeed Their intention was to dialogue with these errors. They tried to get as close as possible to Protestantism, mainly through the new theory of ecumenism. Moreover, the Second Vatican Council adopted the neo-modernist principles of the Nouvelle Theologie as its own. The liturgical reform carried out to fulfill the wishes of the Second Vatican Council reflects the new theology, informing its documents, and the desire to open the Church up to the world and other religions. Nowhere is the difference between the two councils, or rather between the different theologies and mentalities that informed them, more blatant and with more significant implications for the daily life of the faithful than in Holy Mass. Martin Luther did not accept that the Mass is a propitiatory sacrifice, meaning an act that appeases God's wrath, rightly inflamed by sin, who thus becomes more mercifully disposed toward humanity. The heresarch was filled with fury against the propitiatory end of the Mass. He manifested it with blasphemies such as, I say, all public houses, meaning brothels, which God has severely condemned, all killings, murders, theft, and adultery are less harmful than the abomination of the Papist Mass. Unquote. For this reason, at Trent, the Council Fathers insisted on defining the Mass as a genuinely propitiatory sacrifice and condemned those who denied this truth of the faith. Quote, if anyone says that the sacrifice of the Mass is only one of praise and thanksgiving, or that it is a mere commemoration of the sacrifice consummated on the cross, but not one of propitiation, or that it is of profit to him alone who receives, or that it ought not to be offered for the living and the dead, for sins, punishments, satisfactions, and other necessities, let him be anathema. Unquote. Pope Francis is right to present a profound link between the Second Vatican Council and the quote, unquote, New Mass, its liturgical expression. It reflects well the liberalism, ecumenism, and nouvelle theologie principles that inform the Second Vatican Council documents and their optimistic and anti traditional mentality. Thus, To understand the new Mass, it is necessary to understand the Council. It is not enough to consider only the Constitution Sacrosanctum Concilium on the Sacred Liturgy, but the conciliar documents in their entirety, as all of them influenced the new Mass. Father Ralph Wilkin, SVD, reports an episode that illustrates well the atmosphere in which the Council Fathers called for liturgical reform. When discussing the scheme on the liturgy, the German-born bishop Wilhelm Joseph Duschek, SVD, vicar apostolic of Calapan, Philippines, stressed the need for what he called an ecumenical mass, modeled closely upon the Last Supper, over and above the existing form of the Latin Rite Mass." The 1969 New Mass largely fulfilled the desires of this bishop and many others as it corresponded to the Council's pre-established agenda, bringing the Church closer to the modern world and other religions, more specifically with Protestantism because of its influence in the West. In his History of the New Mass... Father Claude Barth rightly says, quote, It is not possible to study liturgical reform without referring to its ecumenical background. This is ecumenism geared toward Protestantism alone. Unquote. He recalls that five Protestant pastors were invited to participate as observers in the Concilium that prepared the new Mass. Father Barth says that although they did not speak at the plenary meetings, They talked to the experts at breaks and expounded their heretical doctrines. Furthermore, they were directly consulted on several occasions. For ecumenical reasons, the New Mass so reduced the prayers and gestures that emphasized the propitiatory character of the Mass that Protestant pastors said that they could use the New Mass in their own liturgical celebrations. One of them, Max Thurian, while still a Calvinist pastor, wrote in the French Catholic daily LaCroix, quote, With the new ordo, the liturgical reform has taken a remarkable step in the field of ecumenism. It has approached the liturgical forms of the Lutheran Church, unquote. The Protestant Superior Consistory of the Church of Augsburg and Lorraine appreciated the fact that in the new Mass, the notion of sacrifice was attenuated. Quote, it should be possible for a Protestant to recognize the supper instituted by the Lord in the Catholic Eucharistic celebration. We are keen to use the new Eucharistic prayers which have the advantage of bringing nuance to the theology of sacrifice we used to attribute to Catholicism, unquote. Some people wonder about the meaning of Pope Francis' drastic and unexpected offensive against the traditional Latin Mass. Why did he rekindle a debate that seemed to have ended? Why this eagerness to stamp out the Latin Mass and hurriedly impose the new Mass without exceptions as, quote, the unique expression of the Lex Orendi of the Roman Rite, Churches that celebrate only the new Mass are increasingly empty, while those offering the traditional Latin Mass become fuller and fuller, especially with young families. Thus, it seems that encouraging the Latin Mass, not abolishing it, would be more authentically pastoral. Does Pope Francis' participation in the idolatrous worship of the pagan goddess Pacamama in the Vatican Gardens and St. Peter's Basilica bear on this? Is this despotic measure intended to pave the way for a quote-unquote Catholic Amazonian Rite, as called for at the Amazon Synod, in the mold of the quote-unquote Rite? That is a valid question as Pope Francis himself suggested in the preface of a new book on the history of the Zairean Rite, that it was the first post-Vatican II, quote-unquote, enculturation of the Mass. Is the motu proprio, Tradiciones Custodes, authentic and valid Church law, though? Are the faithful obliged in conscience to obey it? Many are weighing the issue. In his statement on Traditionis Custodes, Raymond Cardinal Burke explains that no pope has the authority to abolish the traditional Roman rite. Right. "The fullness of power of the Roman pontiff is the power necessary to defend and promote the doctrine and discipline of the church. It is not absolute power, which would include the power to change doctrine." or to eradicate a liturgical discipline which has been alive in the church since the time of Pope Gregory the Great and even earlier. It must be remembered from a theological point of view. Every valid celebration of a sacrament, by the very fact that it is a sacrament, is also, beyond any ecclesiastical legislation, an act of worship, and therefore, also a profession of faith. In that sense, it is not possible to exclude the Roman Missal, according to the traditional Roman Rite, as a valid expression of lex orende and therefore of the lex credendi of the Church. It is a question of an objective reality of divine grace, which cannot be changed by a mere act of the will of even the highest ecclesiastical authority. Is it unjust to prohibit the celebration of the traditional Roman rite, a mass dating back to apostolic tradition, which gives much glory to God and leads people to holiness? It runs counter to the common good of the faithful and the salvation of souls, which is the supreme law of the church. See Canon 1752. When dealing with an unjust law, St. Thomas Aquinas joins with St. Augustine in stating that it is not a real law. Quote, As Augustine says, a law that is not just seems to be no law at all. Unquote. The angelic doctor says that a law is unjust when it goes against the natural common good or divine law. In the latter case, quote, Laws may be unjust through being opposed to the divine good. Such are the laws of tyrants inducing to idolatry or to anything else contrary to the divine law. And laws of this kind must nowise be observed because, as stated in Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than men." with great sorrow, and for the love of the Church. We must conclude that Pope Francis' moto proprio Tradiciones Custodes cannot be considered a valid law of the Church. It is not binding in conscience.
1: Our second essay for today also comes from the pen of Luis Sergio Salomeo. It concerns the relationship between Pope Francis and Father James Martin we want to preface that essay with a short statement from the American TFP.
0: Taking a principled, not a personal stand. As practicing Catholics, we are filled with compassion and pray for those who struggle against violent temptation to sin, be it toward homosexual sin or otherwise. We are conscious of the enormous difference between these individuals who struggle with their weaknesses and strive to overcome them, and others who transform their sin into a reason for pride and try to impose their lifestyle on society as a whole, in flagrant opposition to traditional Christian morality and natural law. However, we pray for them too. According to the expression attributed to St. Augustine, we hate the sin but love the sinner. And to love the sinner, as the same doctor of the Church explains, is to wish for him the best that we can possibly desire for ourselves, namely, that he may love God with a perfect affection. See St. Augustine of The Morals of the Catholic Church, number 49.
1: Few Church doctrines have been so certain as the definition of marriage. Canon 1055.1 of the 1983 Code of Canon Law defines marriage. It states, quote, The marriage covenant by which a man and a woman establish between themselves a partnership of their whole life and which of its very own nature is ordered to the well-being of the spouses and to the procreation and upbringing of children has, between the baptized, been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament, unquote. In the modern world, many have tried to expand this definition to include homosexuals. The Church has always rejected these attempts. Pope Francis had made statements implying that he is on both sides of this important issue. On one hand, he espouses support for the traditional definition. At other times, his statements, like the famous, "'Who am I to judge?' create confusion." Mr. Salomeo discusses Pope Francis' most recent action on this front in his essay In a Handwritten Letter, Pope Francis endorses Father Martin's pro-homosexual activism.
0: On June 21st, Pope Francis sent Father James Martin, S.J., a handwritten letter praising his "quote" unquote, "pastoral zeal in his LGBTQ ministry." Tragically, Father Martin supports the homosexual movement's agenda to normalize the intrinsically evil sin of sodomy. Although shocking, the June 21, 2021 letter does not seem to have caused much surprise given Pope Francis' welcoming position toward homosexuality, one fully shared by his Jesuit confrere. To better understand and assess the gravity of Pope Francis' gesture, it seems helpful to place it in context. According to Vatican News, the Holy See's news portal, the, quote, letter was sent to coincide with the Outreach LGBTQ Catholic Ministry webinar, which was held on Saturday, June 26, 2021. Father Martin posted the letter on his Twitter feed on Sunday, unquote. Gerard O'Connell The Vatican correspondent for the Jesuit America magazine confirms this information and adds some details, quote, Pope Francis has again encouraged the ministry of James Martin S.J. to LGBT persons and with words that could also encourage others in this work. He did so on the eve of the Outreach 2021 LGBT Catholic Ministry Conference, of which the Jesuit priest was the main organizer. Some weeks ago, Father Martin had informed the Pope about the conference in a private mail and explained its purpose. Unquote. It is clear from the tablets reporting that Father Martin solicited the Pope's support for the LGBTQ conference and that he shared the letter with the webinar participants. Quote, the Jesuit priest also reminded Francis about a 26th June conference on LGBTQ Catholic ministry. On an earlier occasion, Father Martin had asked if Francis would send a message to the online gathering. The Pope's reply was first shared with the conference participants. After sharing Francis's letter with the conference, Father Martin posted it on social media. Unquote. There is no reason to doubt the truth of these reports. Pope Francis' letter was a gesture of support for the pro-homosexual webinar. Sponsored by America Media and the Jesuit Fordham University Center on Religion and Culture, The conference's title is self-explanatory, Outreach 2021 LGBTQ Catholic Ministry Webinar. The choice of the conference's keynote speaker says everything about the event's orientation. It was none other than Sister Janine Gramick, S.L., co-founder of New Ways Ministry. She spoke on, quote, 50 years of LGBTQ ministry, unquote. Another speaker was, quote, Father Brian Massingale, a gay priest and theologian, unquote. As is well known, in 1999, with Pope John Paul II's approval, Sister Gramic was, quote, permanently prohibited from any pastoral work involving homosexual persons, unquote, by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. This canonical sanction was imposed because she was against church teaching about the, quote, intrinsic evil of homosexual acts and the objective disorder of the homosexual inclination, unquote. Her beliefs were deemed, quote, doctrinally unacceptable because they do not faithfully convey the clear and constant teaching of the Catholic Church in this area, unquote. Thus, one may conjecture that the Zoom webinar intended to modify, at least through facts, the, quote, clear and constant teaching of the Catholic Church, unquote, on homosexual sin. In other words, to treat homosexuality as something normal, thus practically obliterating traditional doctrine without formally denying it. Informal in its appearance and personal details, the Pope's letter reinforces the idea that the Church is changing its position on this matter. The Vatican News article quotes the Pope's letter as stating, God's style has three elements, closeness, compassion, and tenderness. This is how he comes closer to each one of us. Thinking about your pastoral work, I see that you are continually seeking to imitate this style of God. You are a priest for all men and women, just as God is a father for all men and women. I pray for you to continue in this way, being close, compassionate, and with great tenderness." To say that a priest who labors to change Catholic doctrine on the intrinsic evil of the homosexual act is, quote, continually seeking to imitate this style of God, unquote, is tantamount to claiming that God now desires that sin and that those who commit it are united to him. This is wrong. More precisely, it is a moral heresy that has been called Homo-heresy. On the contrary, the quote-unquote style of God never favors sin. Instead, it tries, through divine grace, to bring the sinner to repentance and the abandonment of sin. It seems clear that Pope Francis wrote the letter to support the Outreach 2021 webinar, and its pro-homosexual message. Someone could object, however, that the Pope does not really support the homosexual movement since he recently issued or approved two measures that disfavor it. Namely, 1. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith's Response Against the Blessing of Homosexual Pairs. And, 2 the note from the Holy See's Secretariat of State against the Zan Bill in Italy, which, if approved, would establish a homosexual dictatorship that would persecute the Catholic faith. In reality, these two measures and the letter to Father Martin are not opposed. They complement each other as the thesis and antithesis in a Hegelian strategy as we will see below. For Vatican observer Luigi Acatoli of the Daily Corriere de la Sera, the letter is a quote unquote image correction rather than an orientation correction. The journalist writes quote, The Pope's new move toward homosexuals has been to support an American Jesuit, James Martin, under attack by the Catholic right. As the Vatican Secretariat of State issued a note to the Italian government on the Zan projected bill, and above all, after May's declaration by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith that blessing homosexual couples in church is unacceptable, one can interpret this move as an image correction rather than a change of orientation. In other words... Pope Francis expressed support to Father Martin to make clear that the two measures above, taken for political reasons, do not change his position toward the homosexual movement. In an article titled, Pope, Contradiction Turned Into a System, Professor Stefano Fontana, Director of the Cardinal Van Thuan International Observatory on Church Social Doctrine, takes the analysis deeper, drawing attention to the Pope's contradictory Hegelian style. Pope Francis acts as if he did not accept the principle of contradiction, which is at the basis of human thought. Professor Fontana states, quote, The Pope's letter of support to Father James Martin, a committed supporter of LGBT rights, raises among other things, a problem of method. That is, living in contradiction as the rule of his ministry. So a few days after the note of the Secretary of State challenging the Zan Bill, he makes a gesture in the opposite direction. Unquote. Further on, Professor Fontana writes, Contradictions of this kind have become habitual in this pontificate and characterize it in a very obvious way. If gender ideology is a mistake of the human mind, why invite Father Martin to continue working for LGBT rights? If the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has given the German synod-specific guidelines on the blessing of gay couples... Why does Pope Francis invite the president of the German bishops to continue on this synodal path? Another contradiction. Do the episcopal conferences have doctrinal competence or not? And why is it that, when they present at Santa Marta or the Holy Office, contradictions that need to be resolved definitively, the answer is to discuss them. Pope Francis's contradictory attitudes are numerous and illustrate his Hegelian strategy of doing or saying something at one moment and then doing or saying the opposite soon afterward, or at least giving that impression. By using this dialectical strategy, the homosexual movement's agenda is advanced despite the opposition. Just a few days ago, we celebrated the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, the Prince of the Apostles and the Apostle to the Gentiles. Both are united by faith and martyrdom, shedding their blood for the solid building of the Church. Today, when the Immaculate Bride of Christ is going through a terrible crisis, allowed by divine providence for the punishment of our sins, let us pray to them asking to share in their fidelity. Let us beseech them to hasten the end of the Church's great trial. May Our Lady, Mother of the Church, and who alone conquered all heresies, come quickly
1: to our rescue. This concludes Can We Trust Pope Francis to be the Custodian of Our Traditions? Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. Mr. Salomeo's essays have extensive footnotes. Links to the original articles are provided in the show notes for the convenience of listeners who wish to examine his sources of information. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating through the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So, by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all the previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book, which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2021 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family and Property, TFP.